Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everybody, how's it going? Dennis here, producer of the show, you know, me, Dennis. All right, our guests are here, the Heartland Mamas. I got to run outside and grab the Heartland Mamas, all right? They're fantastic guests, and oh, it's not that cold outside, but I don't want to keep them out there waiting. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run down and grab them. In the meantime, I'm going to play just a little bit, a little sample, if you will, of uh, this weekend's Benny J bonus interview. Ben talked one-on-one with the ace attorney himself. Yes, he's back. It's Jim Coogan. The Legal Eagle, Attorney at Law. It's one of our weekend bonus interviews. I'll play just a bit of it. I'm going to grab Heidi and Murray, the Heartland Mamas. When we get them up here in the studio and get settled, we'll stop the interview. Then I'll tell everybody where to find the rest of it. So hang tight. Here's Jim Coogan. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J. Take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. Man, that's taking some practice. 2020 in the year 2020. But of course, you're listening to this anytime. It's a podcast. It could be the year 2025. It could be the year 2525. Oh, Whoa. my God. Oh, yeah. Get your head around that one. Yeah. <laughs> and marijuana is legal, so it'll help you get through it. Uh, all right. And my guest, as I always do, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself or herself, in this case, himself. Introduce yourself. Uh, trial lawyer and managing partner. Partner of Dwyer and Coogan, uh, Jim Coogan. And Jim Coogan, as everybody knows, is a regular guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We, uh, we've called this, How Is This Legal? That's the name of it. What was that? Prison bars. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we should copyright that, Jim. How Is This Legal? Uh, and uh, <laughs> with the slamming of the prison uh, bars. Um, so, Jim, some of these, I have these four names that I want to run past you, or three names. And uh, one of them uh, is new, and two are sort of ongoing themes, represent ongoing themes. Uh, And the names are Alex Jones, William Barr, and Michael Horowitz. Uh, Each represent a different segment of our legal system uh, and uh, some of the problems and struggles within uh, trying to make sense uh, for a layman to make sense of what is legal and what is not legal. Uh, Let's start with Alex Jones before we go to William Barr. It's one of our favorite topics, William Barr and Michael Horowitz, um, who is the Inspector General uh, for the Justice Department. Let's start with Alex Jones, uh, the notorious talk show host and podcast host. Does he have a podcast? Is it a podcast technically or is it a radio show? Radio show. Uh, Alex Jones has been sued by uh, parents of children who were slaughtered in Sandy Hook back in 2012. Uh, and that case has been dragging on for quite a while. Um, and I share your mini obsession with this case and the legal issues it raises. And I'll just start by uh, repeating something that you said before we went on Mike. Uh, 
Uh, I've spent my whole life as a journalist, and I'm very concerned about how bullies use libel law to intimidate journalists into silence. So I'm very cautious about using a libel as a tool to silence a dissent and silence legitimate discussion and debate. On the other hand, what Alex Jones did crossed all borders and standards, destroyed all standards of decency, uh, where he said, essentially promoted the view that there was no slaughter at Sandy Hook, that it was made up uh, by the deep state in order to get uh, motivate government into passing laws that would restrict uh, the right to bear arms. That essentially was his argument that he was using. Uh, and uh, so let's break it down. Talk a little bit about the reaction, the lawsuit itself uh, that the parents filed. First of all, what a merry way to say Happy New Year than to be talking about <laughs> InfoWars yeah. and Alex Jones. That's correct. Yeah. Um, Alex Jones, he must have gone to the same gibberish school as um, what's the congressman from Georgia who's been railroading all these these debates. Um, I can see his face now with the glasses. Anyway, it, He's got an amazing ability to just say words and kind of run through crazy conspiracy. They, they just come off of his tongue as if it's like the most natural thing in the world. So this was a perfect opportunity, the, one of the most high-profile mass shootings in American history, I mean, at this point. And I don't know if there's... All right, our guests are here. So, and we're ready to start hour number two. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. If you are enjoying that interview with Jim Coogan, you can download that interview this weekend at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. It'll be available Saturday morning by 5 a.m. Hour number two, let's go. It is Friday, January 3rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome Mae Whiteside, and it's the return of the Heartland Mamas, Heidi Henry and Murray Breel. And now your host, once again, no, not a Heartland Mama. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarowski. The Heartland Mamas are here, but before the Heartland Mamas come on, we got Mae Whiteside. Mae Whiteside. She's not a Heartland Mama either, but before the show is over, maybe they will ask maybe you to join. <laughs> Uh, May, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, May is the chairwoman of Flourish. Uh, and before we get into what Flourish is, it's a, I got a very important mission that would be, be beneficial. I'm going to start by saying this to my beloved Democratic Party. Uh, May I make no bones about this? I want the Democrats uh, to uh, take control of the Senate in the next year, U.S. Senate. I want the Democrats to take control of the White House in the next year. I want a little sanity brought to this country because mm -hmm. this country has lost its freaking mind in the age of Donald John 
Trump. And I think you're on to something as to how the Democrats may accomplish that goal. And that's what Flourish is all about, correct? Yes, correct. All right. So, but before we do that, talk about Flourish, talk a little bit about Mae Whiteside. What a compelling story you have. You're a political, but you're not a politician. Correct. Uh, I'm a spectator and, and I care about the civic process. So about me, uh, I was born and raised in Chicago I'm from the low end, uh, what we call in the Bronzeville area. And I grew up in both the Dearborn homes and uh, Prairie, um, Prairie uh, it's across from Prairie Shores was Prairie Courts mm-hmm. in the 14 stories. And I remember as a kid, you know, watching my mom write letters to Mayor Jane Byrne talking about the deplorable conditions in our apartment and in our community, and none of the letters got returned. So that was like my first like foray into being civically engaged, like contacting your local mayor. From there, my mom was a uh, civil rights activist. She would join marches about apartheid in South Africa. So as a kid, I had an actual chance to sit on the front lines of civic engagement. Uh, as When I was 14, my mom brought me down to the rotunda, and I see you have the bust of Harold Washington right here. Uh, my mom actually, yes, my mom brought me to his, uh, when he was lying in state, and I never forgot that. But all in between time, what my mom did, what was so important in black radio in the 80s, was Lou Palmer's Notebook. And from there, I got, as a kid, a sense of black political thought, black engagement, uh, and in terms of participation, what does that look like? And my mom didn't think that I paid attention to any of this. I'm just a kid playing with dolls that I've had, you know, for years and years. And she didn't think that I would actually pick this up. Mm -hmm. And I actually did. As time went on, uh, of course, you know, being on public aid, we ended up living in homeless shelters for about 10 years. And I am so hoping that Sister Therese is watching because I had the even though our situation was really bleak, I mean, as a civil rights activist, you don't make any money. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it was then. Um, but, you know, I was raised by two incredibly women, Sister Connie and Sister Therese, um, two white Catholic. One was Republican that I watched grow up. Wait, no, in time her out. Now, we, yes, she was. So, so wait, a Republican uh, <laughs> Catholic a, nun? A Republican Catholic cigar smoking nun. Whoa, that's a lot in one sentence yeah. there. The cigar smoking came out I, of nowhere. I had a, yeah, she wore an eye patch and she was one of the strong women now, that I w- saw as a kid. Wait, was along she, with my uh, mother. Uh, how, how did they. How were you raised in their house? Was this well, foster? Well, you know, as a homeless shelter, we would. Oh, a you homeless know, shelter. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. we would live there, uh, and you know, we uh, we were a part of the wave of of women, black women and children that suddenly found ourselves homeless and on the streets. Um, in the eighties. In the eighties, that was a very strong point in Chicago. So, you can imagine, I'm influenced by all these things, but I'm still a kid. I'm still a nerd. I like science. You know, I like playing with the periodic chart. I just all those things like with clay and just figuring out what kind of material it was and just wanting to like learn more about science. So mm-hmm. school trips always landed me in the Museum of Science and Industry and I learned about the industry. I learned about civil engineering and bridges and rail because you know, Museum of Science and Industry has that rail exhibit. Mm-hmm. So I learned all about aviation and rail and all those things and it, it influenced me to be 
you know, a civil engineer like I am today. So somehow or other from this uh, tumultuous childhood, uh, you got it together, graduate high school, Kenwood High School. Yes. Uh, Kenwood Academy. I'm a Bronco. Go Broncos. (laughs) (laughs) You got the Broncos out there. We have a lot of Kenwood people coming through this studio. Um, Go Broncos. Sam Holloway, frequent guest on the show, is a Kenwood uh, grad. That's correct. Uh, Thank you, Robert Mueller. And uh, so, and you went to college and you became an engineer. Yep. I graduated from Illinois Institute of Technology with a civil engineering degree. I'm a licensed uh, professional engineer in Chicago. All right. So how did you, you're an engineer. Now, I don't want to deal on social stereotypes, yes. but I'm not feeling that engineers really get involved in progressive politics. Uh, they don't. If they get involved in politics at all, yeah. they're engineers. Uh, yeah, we're nah, nerds. <laughs> yeah, nerds. Okay. Uh, we well, could be a nerd and still get involved in progressive politics. Uh, look at me. But um, so how was it that you got involved in, in politics? Well, it you know, it stems from just the my experiences growing up, those things from your childhood, they shape you into who you are today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never thought about running for office. I never really took that piece seriously, but I knew that from a civic engagement standpoint, there were so many things that I saw um, growing up in my community that black women were struggling to try to get and just couldn't get that. And so as I became a business owner, there are still challenges, even being a, a, a black female in business uh, in the state. And it just it just seems as though those things are marrying each other. You know, mm-hmm. just the the upfront civic engagement, um, you know, sharing our experiences, hoping that it'll shape policy when it comes to women contracting. And it's just you really can't all the gains that was made. And I'll be honest, Harold Washington actually was the mayor that. Uh, created the minority and women ordinance that we we have today, and a lot of women and minority businesses in this in this state hold those certifications, particularly within the city of Chicago, because of the work that Mayor Harold Washington had done procurement wise. Mm-hmm. So when I think about all the the, the activism that my mom did, watching a, a black woman who you know fought for clean conditions in, in public housing and fought for civil rights just for black people, and then my now having a, a business to where, you know, there's still things that black women face in business, those things about policy and, and activism, we, we, we can't just sit back and say, oh, everything is great. We have to, that's how we evolve as a state. That's how we evolve as a country and just being civically you engaged. You have to be proactive. You have to be proactive. All right, so yeah. tell people what uh, Flourish is. So Flourish is a labor of love. It is a, a political action committee that uh, supports black women running for office, women of color. It is a response, I would say, to the need for fundraising. What I'm finding is women aren't, regardless of nationality, uh, we struggle with asking, we need help, we need money, we need volunteers, we need campaign managers and strategists and and um, and field coordinators, we we struggle asking. So what Flourish does is we, is take that stress away from saying, oh, you don't have to do this alone. We're we're here to support your idea, mm-hmm. uh, and and we, if we think it's a good idea, you pass our questionnaire, you respond to our questionnaire, and we support you. Whether it's social media marketing, cash, which is really what people need to pay these staffers, lights, got to keep the gas on, you got to keep the 
the, the notepads and folders for your field people to really work and walk. Phone banking, you have to pay for phone systems, internet. Uh, those are the small things that I think Flourish can um, really help with. We were featured in Watch the Yard. I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority. And we were featured in Watch the Yard about our, our support of women running for office. Uh, and uh, so what if two women are running against each other? How do you decide which uh, woman you're going to support? Well, it's the issues that we create. So we have a list of issues that um, it's, it's evolving, but some of our issues that we support women running on is economic empowerment. The biggest thing with women is, well, you know, there's that pay gap and black women have a wider pay gap. Um, that is the, how do you support us? How do you, when you go into office, this is an issue that we have for our PAC that we're supporting. Will you be able to go in and defend and support women of color? Other is maternal issues. Um, I myself, you know, had a health scare when I delivered my son. And there's women who, and black women, there's a, a mortality rate when it comes to delivering. You see all these stories about women of color giving birth and then they're not making it out of the delivery room. Mm -hmm. Another issue is um, um, breast cancer awareness and funding. There has to be, there's, I believe in my heart there will be a cure. And black women face um, higher rates of breast cancer uh, deaths than other women. Uh, and so the list just goes kind of like in that order. And we want to make sure that the candidate who Flores supports will take those issues with them into the office and help craft policy. All right. Now, let me throw you in the middle of a yes. question. I'm probably going to ask the Heartland Mamas who are yeah. my next guest. So get ready, Heartland <laughs> yeah. Mamas. So we are uh, now in probably month six of the Democratic primary. Yes. Uh, where the Democrats are trying to figure out who's the best person to send into battle uh, against Donald John Trump. Uh, there are no black women in the race anymore. Uh, yeah. Kamala Harris dropped, dropped out. And uh, this is a conversation we've been having on this show a lot. Uh, why, in your humble opinion, I'll, put, I'll ask you the question, uh, do you think that there are no black women uh, in the presidential race? And uh, how many women are currently in the race? I'm trying to think of it. Uh, Amy uh, Amy Warren. Warren, too. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, I don't think uh, Tulsi is involved anymore, realistically. Or Marianne. She dropped yeah, her she whole dropped, staff. She yeah. dropped her whole staff. Yeah. So let's just <laughs> not kid anybody. Yeah. So what are some of the obstacles? I think one of the obstacles, uh, well, how can I narrow it down? Uh, we're held to a different standard. Um, we are, um, we're, we're asked to do, we're asked to pass a test that others don't have to pass. Mm -hmm. We have to be, um, um, you know, this figure that this just, you know, going to get it done and, you know, but our backgrounds are held to us to a higher standard than others. I mean, it could be eight prosecutors on the stand, but we'll be picked out. It's just, it's, it's not right, but it happens. Um, we could, we have fundraising issues too. Um, we have to be able to understand the Democratic Party that you must have some women of color in this race and support it. We have to feel like we're supported by our party. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much money she was able to get. Kamala. Kamala. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the last black woman that, that ran for president was Shirley Chisholm, unbought and unbossed. Uh, she faced those struggles in wow. 1972. 
So we have. You have to go back to. I'm trying to think. We have. I'm to older go back than you are. Let me go. I'm going to yeah. go every single. Every I single. I think you're right. Yeah. Seventy six. No. And then Jesse 80, Jackson. No. He tried it in in 1983. No, in the 84 and 88. 84, 80, yeah. 84 and oh my god! I was like nine years old. Uh, I voted oh, for my age. Uh, wait, you didn't roll it back. You <laughs> erase, erase that. <laughs> she was unborn in 1983. I was unborn when uh, Shirley Chisholm. Uh, well, you're definitely unborn when Shirley Chisholm yeah. ran in 72. Yeah. Uh, We're but, held to a different yeah. standard. We're mm-hmm. held to a different standard. And most oftentimes we have to be in a process of defending ourselves so much more than the actual issues that we're we're defending. Yeah. Well, I know that um, this was a big issue in 2019, I want to say. I talked a lot about this uh, in Alabama. Roy Moore, uh, who was pretty in that job, prowling the malls looking for young girls. Uh, the Republican Party decided that would be their best candidate uh, to run for Senate. They you know, thought that made him qualified. Yeah. Uh, much like they think Donald John Trump. I think there's 17 or 18. Don't quote me on this one. Accusations against Donald Trump were dealing with sexual harassment and he, up to yeah. rape. But they think he's most qualified to be their uh, presidential. That's where the Republican Party is. Uh, the only thing that saved the, the country from the embarrassment of having Roy Moore as a U.S. senator it was black women, were black women in up. Alabama. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're the most. When I would say as a group, we're we're heavily civically engaged, and when you think about the moral fiber, we tend to listen to that and act on that. Mm-hmm. Like make it right. We're the make it right women, uh, and and I will say just from a an engagement standpoint, from an issue defending standpoint, we are always there. We've shouldered our families since. Slavery. <laughs> I mean, I would say that I would go all the way back, but we're responding and we're active. And then you'll see more groups that are stepping up, powered by women of color, supporting women too, uh, and and that's adding to the conversation. Uh, but the Democratic Party hasn't gotten to where it is without Black women. That's just what it is. Well, I go one step further and be really specific. Yeah. In my humble opinion. The Democrats can't take back the Senate and can't take back the White House without a strong turnout from the black community. That is true. And there's just no way around that. And furthermore, you cannot become the Democratic nominee to run against Donald John Trump without support from the black community. I think that uh, Mayor Pete in South Bend is realizing this yeah. you could be you know everybody uh, all the like rich donors can love you and throw money at you but if you're not going to get uh rank and file black voters to support you you're not going to win yeah. the primary you're not going to win the nomination that's true and and we have to believe that you're going to support us when you get in office most oftentimes we have candidates come to the black community and they have these roundtable discussions they'll meet with us they'll talk to us we'll we'll tell you what's exactly, I mean, giving you the pulse on the street, what's exactly happening to us. But then once that person gets into the office, they close the door. And now you have to pry it open with like white knuckles to try to, like what happened to that dialogue? It, it ended when you got in office. And we have to we have to always try to safeguard ourselves and find candidates that will listen. But if you have a, tra- a candidate with a track record that's already having issues, then we're going to look at that and go, oh, you're, you're an unstable candidate. We don't want to back Now, you. as the, uh, the chairwoman of this pack, are you yeah. not endorsing anybody for president? Uh, are you staying out of that one? Um, 
I, I, I personally, um, personally, like, nothing to do with the pack. Okay, so Just so me personally, May Whiteside, May Whiteside, I haven't decided on a candidate yet. Okay. But in terms of the pack, a survey, we'll send a survey out and we'll ask them what they think. Oh, I'm really uh, curious what the results of that. Yeah, we have to bring I, you back. I, but, you... Yeah, we'll talk about that and and we'll ask them the reasons why. Uh, I haven't personally bought on to the Warren campaign. I haven't bought on to Biden. I haven't bought on to um, Bloomberg yet. I haven't bought on to, I just, I want to see what happens is a crowded field. And I want to get down to after the second debate, who's going to be left next debate. Uh, yeah. All right. Now I have to say, we have the Heartland Mamas on deck. And one of the things we've been promoting, <laughs> discussing, our yeah. Bernie bros, the Harlem Mamas, Heidi Henry's been waiting <laughs> eagerly to come on and talk about you. Because the one candidate you didn't mention when yeah. you're running down the list is yeah. Bernie Sanders. And you have to know, you're kind of like in Bernie country. We're right here yeah. in this little room. Everybody's like a Bernie supporter in this room. Uh, and so I don't get it. Wow. So now they, and gonna, I don't want to get in trouble with gonna, it. Right here, he's crying. He I, loves Bernie I'm over like, there. why are people obsessed with this guy? Him like, I, I, haven't figured, I haven't figured it out. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I love Bernie. Throw the box at me. I, I just haven't figured out the obsession. All right. Can I try to help yeah, you with it? Please help uh, me with if that. If I may. I don't get and it. And Harlem Mamas, uh, this is, oh, thank you, the water. They're giving me water. I'm going to deal wear with... the water. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Uh, I'm doing this right off the top of my head. Bernie Sanders has been championing these the issues that supposedly matter most to Democrats since the 60s. The winds of public opinion are always blowing this way and that way in mm -hmm. this country. Yeah. And Democrats generally, my beloved Democratic Party, because May, I've been a Democrat my whole yeah. life. <laughs> Most Democrats, they're like trying to figure out which way is the wind blowing, and I'm going to go there because that'll get me that little moment, that advantage I yeah. need. That's like how Rom thinks. That's how Barack Obama thinks. That's how Bill Clinton thinks. That's how Hillary Clinton thinks. Bernie's like, uh uh. These are values that I, as a Democrat, believe yeah. in. Yeah, not even a Democrat. He's a Democratic Socialist. And I'm going to stick with him. And you know what? It seems as though the country has kind of moved to Bernie. So Bernie hasn't had a move to the right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like Clinton and Obama, yeah. they moved to the right. Yeah. So They're moving with him. That, I haven't. Yeah. That's why I love. That's why I like Bernie. That's I, I just haven't really. I don't know what it is. I just haven't. There's things about him I just don't like. What I can't put my finger on it, but it just. He's not my candidate. I just maybe, maybe we'll wait it out and see. Maybe he'll win me over. But you, you know, haven't seen it yet. I haven't <laughs> seen the light. I don't know. I don't understand his birdie craze, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, and uh, so I, I presume <laughs> then you were for Hillary in 2016. I did. Okay. I was actually a uh, campaign fellow. Uh, I decided to uh take some time off and go and see what it's like working in a presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was interesting. They, they, we were well-trained. They uh, had us all meet in Madison, Wisconsin, and we were all trained to, um, you know, really knock the doors and ask for, ask the Democrats to come out and support. Um, what was very disappointing though with that, um, you know, and it was a sad time in our history, but the gay nightclub in Florida got shot up. Mm -hmm. She couldn't make it to Milwaukee, but then she never made it to Milwaukee. And I remember the last she being Hillary Clinton, being Hillary. Mm -hmm. 
And on the way home from us, we were all, all of us troops were pulling out of Wisconsin. The Trump signs were all along 94. And I know you've all seen that. It was all, it it was very quiet. We didn't see many Trump signs. It it just, it was a city that, you know, Kenosha didn't really have to me of the Trump signs, but on the way out. Yeah. Oh gosh. It was the, the expressways were dotted with Trump and he just took it. So that's that's when you you had a sense that uh, it Hillary, was over with. Hillary had dropped the ball and was the campaign manager yes. dropped the ball. Yeah, the campaign manager dropped that ball. It was like thunder when you heard it. Yeah, wow. All of the issues that we said um, uh, that happened on the campaign trail, we expressed it, and it just it seemed to just go nowhere, mm-hmm. and we were just kind of like on our own, just for the love of Hillary, knocking on doors and trying to get Democrats to sign on, but uh, you know Trump took that state. Uh, yes, he did. He took that state and the country, <laughs> and the, and and with Michigan and Pennsylvania, there went the country. Uh, but I, as I always do, I like to point out that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She did, and so uh, politics, pre- presidential elections are the only uh, contest, May Whiteside, in which the loser wins. Yeah. about that. My yeah. beloved Chicago Bulls <laughs> would have gotten credit for winning last night's game had we decided basketball <laughs> games the way we decide presidential elections. <laughs> Only freaking contest in the world. Yeah. Oh, I lost, therefore I get to win. <laughs> you know, and this gets me mad. The Democrats accept this. Yeah. Oh, look at Ben. The founding fathers created it. <laughs> well, they also created slavery. We, we're going to keep that around forever? Yeah, they, they definitely created uh, that. Ben, uh, anyway, um, um, before I let you go, tell folks about Nominate a Black Woman. Uh, so uh, one of the activities of Flourish Pack, besides the Illinois Black Campaign Academy, which had debuted in Chicago, then Rockford, then Chicago Heights, which is key to increasing the number of African-Americans for key roles on campaigns. What, what the Nominate a Black Woman to watch in Illinois politics does is highlight the unsung um, hero in campaigns. We're talking the super volunteers Pay, you know, the super volunteers, the, the volunteer field coordinators, the vo- women, black women who you know and seen on campaigns working for the love of democracy and they haven't asked for a diamond return. Uh, one of my favorites is Joseph, she'll kill me, but Josephine, I want Josephine Hamilton Perry, I want to tell you, if this is the camera to look at, I saw you at the DNC, I saw you support uh, Kamala Harris. I saw you bring out your sorority sisters to vote for Democrats. I saw you on the campaign trail um, despite aches, pains, family setbacks. You showed up for the Democratic Party. That's a party builder. So that's one of the categories in this Nominate a Black Woman to Watch. Uh, it's kind of designated for. There are other women who's been nominated. Latisa Wallace, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of spilling the beans a little bit, but um, Latisa Wallace has been nominated. Candace Costello, Hope Martin, Cleopatra Watson, uh, she's been nominated. I'm Sorry, I'm telling you this. Tanya Watkins, all these movement sisters, all these uh, black women who have spent their time and their energy, but they're just not getting the recognition. And I'm thinking the nominate a black woman uh is a ceremony that it would turn into a ceremony that um, highlights black women who have shown up time and time for the Democratic Party, whether money in person or just petition or just sharing in their social networks for the Democratic Party and for candidates that they care about. And those women have not haven't haven't seen the 
recognition I think that they deserve. All right, well, we're definitely going to bring you back, May Whiteside. Uh, I'm just going to let a, a little secret out. May was like, I don't know. I get nervous. That, that, that. Man, she's <laughs> killing it. She's got the mic. She's talking directly <laughs> to the camera. She's about ready to start singing a song. Uh, she's going to do her Whoopi Goldberg impression in a little while. Uh, but we're definitely going to bring you back to see who actually, is it going to be like one woman selected or a number of It's going to be a number okay. of women. All uh, right. That would be half fun. of them have been guests on this show, by yeah. the way. I just want to say, uh, so thank you, May Whiteside, for coming in. I really, uh, by the way, is there a website people should know about? Any, uh, yeah, the, uh, go to www.flourishpac.org on the events page. You can directly go there, or if you find my social media, May Whiteside, uh, you can click the link or go to Flourish Pack. We're on Twitter and nominate does nominate and nominate okay. even elected officials can nominate people and may is spelled m-a-e m-a-e mm-hmm. yeah. uh white side very good may white side thank you very much uh the heartland mamas we've been promising them all day <laughs> they're revved up and they're ready to go may thank you much very much we're going to bring the heartland mamas on when we return thank you so much read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Well, yesterday was quite a day. I really lost sleep last night after watching over and over again the testimony of the Attorney General of the United States. How sad it is. How sad it is for us to see the top law enforcement officer in our country misrepresenting, withholding the truth from the Congress of the United States. I think it's really time that as I watched him, and kept saying, what could possibly be motivating the Attorney General of the United States to disrespect the Constitution of the United States, the separation of power, the right of Congress to know? What possible motivation could the Attorney General of the United States have uh, to dishonor the office that he holds by writing there for the whole world to see, to misrepresent the facts to the Congress of the United States? The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu masters. Hey, the commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, we've been talking about the Heartland Mamas coming on the show. Hi, Heartland Mamas. <laughs> Murray Briel. Heartland uh, Mamas. And yeah. the Mamas are in the house. <laughs> Welcome back, mamas. Thank you for having yeah. us. Man, I know you guys drive so far from the, uh, what do I always call it? The boonies? Watch you call it. it the boonies. Oh, what, what, do I get in trouble? Don't offend our guests. We call, call it, it the boonies. No, we call it the edge of the Great Red Divide. 
Sounds, yes. whoa. sounds way better than boonies. Oh, sounds like something that I would have read about a legal weed day. Go ahead, D. <laughs> the Red Divide. You got an update before we bring the mamas on? Absolutely, I do. People, it is time for a segment that we have not done on this program in quite some time. A segment where we keep tabs on our elected officials by taking a quick look at their Twitter page. Oh, yes. Heidi, you're going to dig this. Yes, All right. it's the 2020 <laughs> debut of a segment that we like to call Hail to the tweet. Cue the ukulele. <laughs> no, that has not been playing the ukulele, guys. No, for all those <laughs> listening on the download. All right, so we got uh, two tweets here. Uh, one is from our newly elected, well, I say newly elected, but I mean, it was a while ago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. All right, here's the tweet from Lori Lightfoot. Uh, this was, I believe, just a this was a few hours ago. Lightfoot tweet. Dope. Marijuana. Cannabis. Whatever you prefer to call it. Please observe basic rules and regulations to ensure safe, equitable, and responsible use. Hashtag Illinois Cannabis. Okay. <laughs> and for more info, visit chicago.gov forward slash cannabis. Oh, okay. So it's an informational tweet. A very informational tweet. She, she did not mention reefer. No, she did uh, not mention reefer. Well, uh, she didn't. Yeah. Only you call it that. <laughs> no, he's not the only one. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's a generational <laughs> thing, right, Heidi? Yeah. Can, can about I interject to hear yeah. the difference between our, uh, the mayor of Chicago and our beloved lieutenant governor? Is Our lieutenant governor was one of the first people in line to purchase cannabis on legalization yeah. day and the way she did it was to destigmatize that's amazing and and that that by the way Marie, that is a great point. I, I had a field day yesterday with this, with the the jubilation and the joy of legal reefer, because I think it's really the sign, signifies the end of the war on drugs, Thank our God. first step toward the end of the war on yeah. drugs. Uh, but the Tribune had this story that was like <laughs> your Uncle Harry wrote it. You know, what do you tell your children about legal? And, and Marie, I'm thinking there's like a thousand things more difficult to explain to a child, like murder. Rape, World and War III. slavery, World War Three, World War Three happening, like with right troops now. going Yesterday. to the Middle East. But yeah. no, how do you explain <laughs> that you can buy marijuana? I'm like, where's it's George the same Carlin way you when we need him? You can go to a strip club that you can buy alcohol. It's the same Gambling. damn thing. Gambling, yeah. I'll tell you, I have taught my children, and I have 17, almost 15, and 11, and I've explained to them what it is, what it does. Why? And they're very well versed. Yeah. By the way, when you said that, when you started off and I have 17, I'm like, you had 17 kids? <laughs> Hell no. Three. Three boys. So that's what uh, Mayor Lightfoot, oh, okay. that's Mayor Lightfoot and what she's up to. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Now on to the Illinois governor. I'm not a perfect person. All right. J.B. Pritzker tweeted this a day ago. Uh, he says, we made great strides in 2019 to put Illinois back on the side of working families. Today, minimum wage Workers get their first raise in a decade, and hundreds of laws take effect that move our state forward. Here's to a joyous and prosperous 2020 for all Illinoisans. All right, Heidi Henry, I'm going to put it to you. You ran on the ticket with J.B. Pritzker mm -hmm. back in 2018. You were running in Senate District 38 very against good. Sue Resin. Yeah. I know I'm unbelievable. And <laughs> uh, did very well, in my humble opinion, for a liberal lefty Democrat she running in amazing. red country. 41% of the vote. I always go up on my estimations. <laughs> uh, are you pleased so far with Governor Pritzker's reign uh, in Illinois? I think it's a a progressive Democrat's dream come true. 
So many things. Um, the first question I ever asked him when I was, uh, it was before I was a candidate, when he was a candidate, brand new candidate, was about the fight for 15. Because it's not realistic to pe- pay people less than $10 an hour, to pay them so little and expect them to survive. And he came back with such a dissertation on poverty. I was in that that moment because, you know, who was our downstate guy? Um, Robert. Bob Diber. Bob, Bob Diber. I was a Bob Diber fan until JB gave me that answer. And then it was like, that's it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wait, which part that she was would, a Bob Diver oh. fan, but we converted her. So well, Dennis voted for Diver. He's Damn proud right of it. I did. Well, we got to get down to business. There we go. There's Diver <laughs> six one eight, the only podcast with a Bob Diver audio drop. Yeah, that's correct. I uh, I voted for Dan Biss, but um, yeah. I'm not completely proud of that. I love Latisa Wallace. She's guesting the show, yep. but I don't know. I kind of wish I voted for Bob Diver. I always say this because um, he's really a New Deal Democrat. In red. And she's very yes. similar to you, Heidi Henry. Yeah. He's a New Deal Democrat right. running in red uh, country, in Trump country. And I got a lot of respect for people like that. He was super accessible. So he was out at a lot of our v- events out in the central part of the state. And I got to know him a little bit. And I really respected him. And I come from a long line of educators. So he appealed to that part of, of my ideology. All right, uh, before we take the deep dive into the Bernie Bros issue that we've been uh, <laughs> promoting all uh, week long. Don't Marie, hate. Mar- don't hate. <laughs> Marie, explain why we call you the Heartland Mamas. It's not something I invented. Go ahead. We are the Heartland Mamas because Heidi and I got to know each other through the campaign trail and the political uh, season mm. uh, several years back. And after those pursuits ended, we were really frustrated at how, no offense, guys, the male attitudes have taken and driven our country for the last 250 years. Everything from our foundation has been designed by male brain. And we're like, dang it, it's time for more women. And then we talked about how being a mama takes care of everything. You have to deal logically, uh, empathetically. You have to deal on multiple levels at the same time. And we're like, dang it, it's time for some mamas. So because we're both... uh, Red dividers, we decided we are the Heartland Mamas, and that's how we came to be. What do you mean by red dividers? Well, we, we live literally at the edge of the Great Red Divide. There's, there's very little blue between us and California from where, <laughs> from where she lives in Will that's County. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's <laughs> not a lot. So we call it the Big Red Divide. When you look at that map, and granted, a lot of that is corn and wheat and soybeans, but there's this big red swath in the middle of the country, and mostly nobody nobody lives there. And we got frustrated, not only with the lack of female representation, but we got frustrated with the media calling the heartland Trump country, calling... It isn't. A, you know, a, equating rural people with lack of intelligence and and not knowing and not knowing why they voted for trump and we got really tired of being told what people in the heartland Mm -hmm. feel we're people in the heartland right and we said there's got to be more like us we met countless on the trail so that's our whole purpose is to talk to the heartland and find out what's really going on that was the hard part now murray's um run ended at the primary mine continued through to the general and there was no messaging from our state party for downstate the thing that they would tell us is if it weren't for Michael Madigan, we wouldn't have or we would be a right to work state. That does not work downstate. It doesn't work in anything outside of the Collar counties. And that's the message you want me to bring out there. No, they want to know 
how are you going to make Illinois work for us when we've lost our steel mills, when we've lost our good employment opportunities, when we have huge pollution issues out in our area? When we, we have, have climate change sites. that is affecting our crops and our ability to produce and right. the land prices are dropping. How are we supposed to survive? And there's no messaging from the party. So Murray and I decided to do it. <laughs> Uh, and uh so yeah so what is the messaging as we head into 2020 we're heading a very important election year uh what do you think is the message that will win over voters in the heartland number one is health care we really as democrats have to stick to health care especially with this thing worming its way right now from texas going to the supreme court we won't just lose the people who got care under Medicaid expansion. We are going to lose people like my son who, without ACA, uh, would not have been able to go back to school, would not have the job he has now, would not be alive right now. So you're losing uh, just about every woman that has a pre-existing condition because of how our plumbing works. Back before we, before, before my first child was born, if I was pregnant and I lost my job, the only way to be insured was to go on COBRA. I couldn't pick up my right. husband's insurance because it was a pre-existing condition, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, and so that that's where we're at. And we cannot drop the ball on this. And going into the presidential election, we have to remember that no matter which Democrat we elect uh, as our president, whoever primaries through is only going to be able to sign the legislation that Congress sends them. Now, they can shepherd through their ideals, but that doesn't mean once it goes through the debating process and all the committees and comes to their desk that that's it's going, going to, be, to be what they promise right. or what they it may and, be closer to what you wanted with a different candidate right. in the first place, depending on the Congress. But we do absolutely know that if we do not take back the Senate, if we do not hold the House, if we reelect DJT, we will be up shit creek if, even even if here. even if for somehow he does get reelected god forbid we have a chance to take the senate and we have to our yeah. courts have been manipulated we've got 30 years mm-hmm. of conservative courts already, not yes. to mention the line going up. We cannot afford to have the Senate, the Republicans We can't afford to keep, to keep giving back the rights that we fought for ever since the New Deal went through, ever since the New Deal went through. And that is not Bernie Sanders' ideology. That is when the, um, the Democratic Party worked the best. That's when our country worked the best, when we were building the great society. And we've as Democrats, given pieces of that away to appeal mostly, I think, to corporate America, forgetting the Capitalism. fact of all of the people that live and breathe and work and live and die here that are the backbone of the, of the Democratic Party, and we cannot give another inch. You know, it's that ideology, that coming to the center, which is a very dangerous place to be. We can't step our toes in the center any longer. All right. Now, uh, let's stick with the health care. Yeah. I you hit it on the head, both of you. Uh, if Donald John Trump is victorious, what little health care we have through Obamacare, it goes out the window. Right. Because, folks, I can't say this enough. As we speak, uh, there is a lawsuit working its way through the courts, probably heading to the Supreme Court. Uh, which would uh, torpedo uh, Obamacare, and it is backed, this lawsuit is backed by the Donald John Trump White House. Department of Justice, he has put our entire Department of Justice on this case to rip health care away from millions, tens of millions of people. And why? What is the ultimate goal? That's my question. Besides destabilization of the democracy that exists, 
why? Why? I well, just don't I, get it. That, I mean, the why question is a deep dive. Uh, I should bring Neil Muhammad in to talk yeah, about that. We I love mean, our Neil. Uh, Neil. But yeah, I, <laughs> but ultimately, I think it's just a, a carryover, Heidi Murray, from the war on Obama. And oh, exactly. that, that they just hated Obama so much. Mm-hmm. And Obama gave us this Romney care. It's not even radical health care. And but they hate him so much. They want to discredit him. How dare that half white yeah. man become president? How that, dare he? Yeah. That's why we're we pulled out of Iran deal, because it was Obama's plan. Right. It, doesn't it was matter. Obama's pinnacle foreign policy achievement that had success. And so health care is his, his uh, second, domestic, his domestic. Yeah. So when he comes in, what's he want to do? Destroy it. Mm-hmm. And, and for what? How many people have to die domestically and in foreign lands to prove that Donald Trump hates Barack Obama? So when you hear, yes, and as I say, folks, he was promised Donald John Trump to keep us out of Middle Eastern wars, and we got some troops heading over there right 30, now. 3,500. 3,500. Right I saw the headline before we went in yeah. there. All right. Um, so when you hear the debate, and I know you've been following it, uh, the debates of the Democratic candidates, and they talk about health care. Mm-hmm. The last debate, they didn't talk too much about it, but the previous no. debates, they've been talking about it uh, a lot. Uh, is there a message from any of the candidates that you think is particularly uh, potent in your neck of the woods? Well, I, you know, having to, to deal with health care, very frontline with my son when he became ill, this was pre-ACA. This is when he would get redlined every year. And my husband and I went $240,000 in debt, saving his life, and, uh, and paid it all off instead of taking bankruptcy. And um, being right on that front line, when I listen to everybody's health care policy, every single one of them makes sense. Now, would I love to see single payer and Medicare for all? Absolutely. Do I think we're grown up enough to, to do it right now? I'm not sure. And the state we're currently in as a nation in such disarray. We've talked about this, and I think there's two options here. As you, as we move forward, we can go back to the more pulling people in the center and rehealing the country and building foreign bridges again, which we do need to do. Yeah. But domestically, we have had such an exposure of all of our weaknesses and failings as a nation. I think it's time for a broad change. I happen to like Andrew Yang a lot. Sorry, uh, he's not. I haven't chosen anybody yet. Don't but apologize. I, I am, <laughs> he's I am, on my top five. We'll get to that. Yeah, but um, and I think that that the healthcare everyone wants healthcare and needs it, and the more we explain what that entails and the benefits, the more people are coming around to it. And I have this argument with some of the more conservative Democrats out in my area and some of the Republicans, and they are convinced that no one wants it. And all we hear Wait, is we out. want They're it. convinced that nobody wants Nobody wants Medicare for all. Somewhere. Nobody wants a social program for it. And everyone we talk to, the average person, the heartland folks, yeah. they're begging for it. So in yeah. other words, based on what you're, you're, uh, what you're reporting right now, the best way for the Democrats to win voters in your area, to get people who voted for Trump, uh, 2016 to vote Democrat, regardless of the candidate is right. the best way is to loudly and boldly champion a health care for all plan. Is that what Absolutely. you're saying? Absolutely. You know, health care has to has to lead the way because there's a lot of people my age that are uh, approaching that Medicare area. And it's a little ways off. I, my husband's on Medicare right now, but I'm, I'm a few years behind him. And we see that coming up. And I've seen the change from his 
uh, our policy that we bought through his work for years to Medicare was seamless. Mm-hmm. He, in a lot of ways, has better care than I have on the very good Blue Cross plan that I have. Um, so people, as they experience it, realize that Medicare for all is not a, a scary thing. It's really a very seamless thing. The math on how to pay for it is what scares people because there's so much rhetoric about how it works. I've done the numbers for just about everybody's plan. Luckily, my son's got a degree in economics, so he can help me with the math because it's not my strong suit. But the math works on all of them. And I think we're all working towards the same goal. It's the speed and rate that we get there and how we pay for it in slightly different Areas. It's also the messaging of how we have talked about this many times. Semantics, semantics, taking back uh, co-opted terms, yep. taking those hot button words out of the issue, and if we can develop a messaging strategy that explains that in a concise, easy soundbite, fifteen we will words win or less. Beyond. Nine well, words here's something can do I, I don't understand, and this is the national level of a local conversation I have absolutely all the time. Most of my obsession with my journalistic career has been on local issues. So in the city of Chicago, when it comes to something like uh, hiring nurses in public schools, Every, all of a sudden, our leaders become accountants. Of and course. And they figure it out down to the nickel and the devil. It's going to cost you X, Y, Z. But then when it comes to something like, we're going to have the Olympics in the city of Chicago. Oh, man, let's write the check. Let the party begin, blah, blah, blah. So when I do that in the national level, I, I'm and just telling you, $768 billion, billion military defense spending well, budget. And apparently he's eager to get that in use, isn't he? He's he's eager to start World War Three, so we can use all that up because the war machine is insatiable. And uh, um, sorry, I'm going to get worked up about that. But you know, here's the thing: there's always money for that sort of crap, but there's never money for s- social workers and for counselors and for nurses and for medic yeah. yeah. medication <laughs> and things that we need that everybody everybody needs and every time i hear the story about rom shutting down the the mental health mm-hmm. clinics and i remember when that happened even though i don't live here in the city and i thought for god's sake if those children if the people that live there cannot have that respite how do they ever expect to get a a head of violence in this city how you can't that is totally irrational and not having social workers and nurses in your school systems with the the level of the stuff that just comes at these kids and shooter drills and I just violence on a, the seat a conversation and, with a someone running for state senate in illinois and he didn't have a grasp of exactly what that entailed and he was shocked to think that we needed more social workers in our schools but yet he also said we had to stem the gun violence somehow. And I said, well, when you have 2,000 kids in a school, and we're a fairly good school system. Will um, County. In Plainfield. Yeah. And uh, when you have 2,000 kids in a school and you have f- four social workers mm-hmm. on staff, that's 500 kids per social worker to catch those kids who... I know for a fact in the last three months, there have been several suicide attempts at that school. And and these are kids who are 14, 15 years old, and there's and no one there to catch them and help them. How, how, how many, close are we to a shooter? Mm-hmm. How many times did you guys have a false lo- um, lockdown? We had 
a it, lot. Yeah. 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 And that triggers these kids and they have nowhere to go. Their parents are working. Nobody's home when they get home and they have to sit there and try to work it out yeah. in their own brains. For God's sake, give them a, a, somebody at school they can turn no, to. No, but this goes back to what we started with, Maria. I just have to, I have to tie it all together. You're talking about the need for uh, social workers and therapists, et cetera. And, and the whole issue of mental health in our country is is someone that people don't want to uh, uh, approach really a lot of people the, the stigma you know they, people don't want to admit they go to a therapist or they need a therapist or they're big they think they're bigger than a therapist so they close mental health clinics in the poorest neighborhoods gun in crime high neighborhoods cutting back the amount of mental health clinics. now we finally legalized reefer i'm gonna tie it all together and some people take reefer because they got to deal with the madness of the, of the world and what does lori life would do well be responsible <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that's why i've got to say i wasn't real happy about now, that yeah, be responsible i have to tell you ben sunday we're recording uh we have a can of consultant coming on because we know people are going to self-medicate it's not just how high can i get how fast can i get so we have a can of consultant coming on sunday uh, so we'll drop that one Monday morning at 10 a.m. And part of it is people have these questions because they're too embarrassed to go talk to somebody because they have anxiety or depression or whatever. So what strains might help? Not that we're medically recommending, but at least giving you a little guidance, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, but God, I just hate it when our politicians take a pious approach to a law that they know that they're going to benefit from. <laughs> Which is why I found, you know, our, our lieutenant governor so amazing. That was a brilliant PR move. Her. The fact that she legitimized it and destigmatized it by doing that. You saw what she got. She got the tiniest microgram of <laughs> of of can of yeah, I was gonna uh, say edible. the question is, did she smoke it? Right. No, she smoke got an it? edible. She yeah, got edible. five edibles at the tiniest microgram available. <laughs> but she it was it. St- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it was she still... could bring drop it by the show. We could uh, you know, we'll, we could feed it to our guests. I've heard the the dream show Dennis has for you. So. I, I know, right? I want to hear that show. Okay? Have you heard it, Marie? No. What I want to do is I want to get Ben to take an edible or, you know, probably not smoke it, take an I edible. Can, and I got tincture. We can hook him up. Well, tincture, he, whichever. And then he could do an interview. Marie, a Benny J. Bonus interview. Oh, my God. Marie's that. always trying to do the same thing to me because she, see, and she needs me. to just take it down a notch. Yeah. I, <laughs> Sometimes I tell her somebody's always got to be the one able to row the boat, and it's always me. And you can row the boat when you have circle. cannabis in your system. <laughs> That's what, what a, people don't understand. You can row the damn boat wait, while you're high. What a great thing to steal that, Heidi Henry. You need someone to row the boat, damn it, D. I gotta row the freaking boat while you're just sitting right in the bow or the stern, good, smoking a joint, okay? <laughs> you gotta need someone. I gotta write that down. You need someone to row boat. Well, there you go. Let's write stuff down. We're not doing anything. Uh, yeah, hold on. Just all right. Heidi doing a Henry. show. Yeah, Taking go. notes. I got that. All right. Uh, you talked about uh, Medicare, uh, excuse me, um, healthcare uh, as an issue that could bring uh, red uh, area voters to the Democrats. Yeah. Here's one. Here's a tough challenge for you, Heidi Henry. Uh, climate change. Wow. And it hit my area and is hit hitting my um, my work very hard right now. I We have a horse farm now. My husband and I sold off all of uh, the other parts of farming years ago, except for some organic produce and chickens and the horses have been our livelihood. Um, we've had two terrible hay crops in a row. What little hay we had left over from 2017, we shipped to Nebraska to help those that were flooded along the uh, Missouri River. Here's the problem. I also do animal rescue, and hay has gone from about 3 to $4 a bale to up over 10 This winter is going to be a huge 
issue in my line of work with animals that are not going to be fed. There's just no affordable way to do it. So when I talk to the farmers out by me and they're trying to figure out how to balance their workload with the climate issues, the wet, we've had two hugely wet years right in a row. Our ground is not normally that wet. We don't usually get that. We get periods of dry and periods of, of uh, heavy moisture, but we're, I think we're, we're right now like the third and fourth wettest years on record right now, two in a row. And um, that's impacting all of us. I mean, right now with the net freezing, we have an, an issue with, with insect carryover, fungus carryover in our um, in our croplands. And now our governor stepped up and sold a lot of our grain to Taiwan, reopened markets to Mexico and to the Dominican Republic, which is going to help offload our grain from this year and next year. But uh, trying to prepare for that, trying to get the farmers to prepare for that, and trying to get them to pay attention to this, because they're used to the ebb and flow of weather cycles. But I'm not sure all of them, especially not the stubborn ones, see the correlation. And, and I'll they may tell not. you, climate change is going to really start to affect the consumers. As Heidi was talking about, there's a hay shortage Small farmers, mid-sized farmers who have livestock are dumping their livestock. They're sending it to slaughter before they hit the winter because they can't right. afford to pay for it. So it makes more sense to sell it off. And, and it's sheep so and stock up and... on your meat. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a meat eater, stock well, up on your meat in the next few months because it's going to skyrocket when well, yeah. it becomes in short supply. But uh, pork producers are now self-regulating themselves, so I don't know how much pork you want to probably want to get to a micro-producer. Okay, I'm going to I'm not even quite sure where to go with Pork producers are self-regulating that themselves. Would be, but That's of course, almost sexual. They, I don't know where to go with that one. Thank you, huh? you can always self-regulate better than anyone else that can, right? Correct. It's That's always in someone's best interest. Self-regulation. Mm. Right. Uh, we're not even going anywhere near that. But no, I... Uh, <laughs> I've been. There was an article. I forget where I read it. Uh, it, was, it I think it may have been the New York Times. It was um, a scientist explaining how you should talk to climate change deniers to convince them that climate change is real. Uh, and it was the. It was a scientist who was also evangelical, and it was a woman. So she was saying that I know that sounds like a contradiction to be evangelical and a scientist, but that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And then there were all these backdoor ways to try to convince people who are already being victimized in one right. way or another. Like you own, you live on the ocean, the water's coming over. That may be a sign, <laughs> you know, uh, Florida, you know, but not us. They're going to vote for Trump anyway. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I've, I don't know if I could do this, uh, Murray. I don't know if I have it in me to try to convince a, it's exhausting, uh, yeah. man. It really is. We do that a lot. We talk to folks and, and drop those monikers and semantics and get really get into good conversations with people. But it's exhausting to try to get through to find what is that important aspect of someone, what's going to mean something to someone, because we're all individuals and well, it can take a long time. Now, falling along the line of climate issues and being very wealthy, in Kansas, they just opened a huge uh, complex for very wealthy people to buy condos where they can survive for years 
because climate will come and hit all of our shores, but it's probably not going to get to Kansas. So um, they're building rich people bunkers, bunkers in Kansas, in Kansas, so that they can be safe from the if climate change. So if but they'll still deny it and yeah. vote Republican. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we, my husband has family in uh, Kansas, and a couple of them are on disability mm-hmm. and live, and they don't have Medicaid expansion, but they're you know living because this is all that's open to them uh, from their disabilities. And yet they'll tell me that they're going to vote Trump. And I'm like, why? Well, you know, we always vote Republican. I'm like, you're going to have to do better than that. And then I I tell my husband it's time to leave Kansas. (laughs) I have a prediction. Iowa will go blue. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, I think I will. Get the Iowa. cannabis out. No matter who? <laughs> oh, blue no, no matter, matter who. who. Okay. Wow. Have, Why do you say that? I have family in Iowa, and uh, I have a lot of folks out there that I know, and we're talking the younger generation, the 20 to 26, 28, mm-hmm. have some serious concerns that you wouldn't think that would be important at that age. Mm-hmm. They were all brought up by Trumpers, and their parents have changed. They have changed and evolved. I'm telling you, Iowa, not real happy right now. It's going blue. Wow. I, let's just My put that prediction. one down right there. Uh, I love that prediction. Iowa go, well, Iowa went blue for Barack, uh, yeah. 28, at 2008, and at 2012, I want to say. We're hoping that they're going to dump both Joni Ernst and Steve King. Definitely Joni Ernst. Joni Ernst has got to go. Senator she's, Ernst. Oh, she's disaster. one of the vulnerables and one on our list. Uh, we should do a, uh, a remote with the Heartland Mamas in Iowa. We're going to the caucus. You should yeah. come. We we're, were invited to five caucuses. And it's in February, first week of February, right? February 3rd. You should come. It would be great. Yeah. We've been invited to attend one both in, yeah. with our friends in the Southwest Iowa Democrats and uh, in Davenport. We just got, which I haven't talked to Murray about, which is a lot closer. Um but we're going to help them watch them observe set up. We'll do some helping. Like I told him, I said, we can set up chairs and like sweep floors, but we don't want any, <laughs> you know, we don't want to screw this up for anybody. And uh, so we're going to go through and watch the whole process with them. I spent a lot of time uh-huh. in Iowa this, this past year, year and a half, and uh, got to know some of the process. And a lot of the movers and shakers in these red little rural areas that are, I mean, they're making the candidates come to Southwest Iowa, which is, you know, touching Kansas and Nebraska Mm -hmm. and all kinds of places you'd think it would never happen, you know? All right, got the Heartland Mamas in the studio. I love that prediction from Murray. Iowa's going blue in Mm -hmm. 2020. Uh, We've been promoting this discussion for a week. I I allowed them to talk about this, that, and the other thing. Now we're going to take a break, let them gather their thoughts. They were going to deal with the BB (laughs) question. Bernie bros. Also may ask them for their top five. They don't know what I'm talking about with that, but I'll let them know. And I may give them the playlist quiz d the old long way in a beer till play. five o'clock yes we got heartland mamas <laughs> in the studio. we'll take a brief break be right back with the heartland mamas okay the ben jarofsky show is supported by northwestern university's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis writing and research evening classes are held on northwestern's evanston and chicago campuses the spring quarter application deadline is january 15th learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us 
to the weekend. All right, we've been waiting for this moment all <laughs> week long. <laughs> Heidi Henry's been talking so much smack trash. I get these texts from her, emails from her. Bernie bro this, Bernie bro that. Uh, and Dennis and I are kind of Bernie bros. Both of us right now, I got my top five, Heidi, mm-hmm. of I'm going to ask you guys your top five. Look at the candidates. I rank them. Uh, some people that come on the show, the only name on their top five is Bernie. So okay. Bernie, it's Bernie one, Bernie two, Bernie three, Bernie four, Bernie five. And that's where the problem is. And yeah, they're okay. Bernie there, bro. there you go. You see that, D? Yeah. You got a problem. That's right. uh, and, uh, I would say I'm a Bernie guy, not a Bernie bro. How but, about and that? there's a significant difference with that. All right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The, I, oh, let's, okay. Explain your issue with Bernie bros. And also while you're at it, explain the difference between a Bernie bro and a Bernie guy. Well, okay. So I'm driving to see my dad up at the hospital in Winfield from my house. You know, it's an hour and a half drive. And I hear Miles on. And I'm telling you, Ben. Oh, Miles, I, a Thursday. Uh, in These Times writer, Miles, Miles Camp-Lassen. That it, Miles? <laughs> subscriber to In These Times and have read it, I think, since it came, started printing. Mm-hmm. So, um, But a lot of times when he's on, he's such a bro. I just fast forward right <laughs> Are you thinking Miles or Micah? Because well, both of them. Oh, okay. Both of them just dropped. <laughs> we just threw like, Mike under the bus too. Go oh, I was, I was about to. Yeah. So, and you asked Miles specifically. Uh, you said, uh, you know, people don't consider him to be um, Bernie to to be a Democrat. Well, what would you say about that? Well, he always pivots. He never answers you. Mm-hmm. He always pivots, and he says to you, exa- you I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, Bernie Sanders is not beholden to any. Uh, any party, not either party. So he's not beholden to anyone. Well, to a Democrat like me, that sounds like Bernie Sanders wants all our toys and all our resources, but he doesn't want to do the work. When they did the Liberty and Justice Dinner in Iowa a few months ago, um, everybody sold tickets to help fundraise, and that money goes to whoever primaries through. Bernie Sanders refused to sell tickets or let his people in, so he refused to raise any money. Now, all the other candidates, there are 17 other candidates that, that raised money there, that he's happy to take, but he's not happy to do any of the work. So, and the other issue I have, and both Micah and Miles have said this, is when you ask them, who will they vote for if Bernie doesn't primary through? They pivot away from that question. They never answer you. Here's what I can tell you is that Democrats will get behind whoever primaries through. Sanders, uh, Steyer. Not, I forgot not Steyer. Not Gadget, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. He's not in my top five. Not, like, yeah. Oh, he's not. He's not in my five. Uh, so, so they're going to get behind whoever primaries through and push him. The bros, if it's not Bernie, are going to pack up their toys and go home and sulk. And, and Heidi and I what disagree. What they did in 2016. So you call instead of calling them Bernie bros, you should call them Bernie babies. They are uh-huh. like, uh-huh. okay. What are you but doing, Ben? Part of the bro aspect. Want people to listen. Part of the bro aspect comes yeah. because of the misogynistic tendencies yes. that follow some of the more rabid enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that will say Hillary Clinton was the worst candidate ever, even when she was the best qualified person to run for president in my lifetime. Qualifications, absolutely, without a doubt. But she had been demonized for 30 years by the Republican Party that there was so much baggage. It wasn't a good fit. All right. I don't want to relitigate the 2016 presidential. No, I don't want to either, but but they still do. I voted for Hillary just like you guys did. Okay. And I didn't even have trouble with it. But there were problems with Hillary Clinton. The Clintons yep. have a legacy of problems yes. that I am just now confronting. I'm like someone who was under the influence of the Clintons throughout the 90s, Heidi and Mer- not, and Me and, and Bill, like, not friends. You know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'm just like coming out of it going, oh my God, what did I... And I 
I hope Pippi's listening. I had a dear friend, uh, still a dear friend of my Pippi, loved Bill Clinton. When I was with Pippi uh, when Clinton uh, left the White House and she was like almost weeping, you know, the greatest president we ever have. And Only I, because of who was coming in after him, you know? Right. <laughs> but I got some serious issues with the Clinton. Let's not relitigate it. I hear no. what you're saying. Yeah. Hillary was far more qualified, in my humble opinion, uh, than Donald John Trump oh, and yeah. far less corrupt than Donald John Trump. Oh, and yeah. I would say, I know Bernie had been in the Senate and has a long career in politics, but. Hillary's exposure in those other areas foreign put policy. her as more, definitely with foreign policy, put her in a position to be a better president. All right, I'm going to ask so you we'll this question, uh, and this is, I don't think you guys have been here since, I, we spent about a week talking about Hillary on the Howard Stern show. And, um, <laughs> I think were, that's what started my tweet to yeah, you. Tweet, yeah, and Hillary on that show, they were talking about that moment in the debate where Donald Trump was walking behind her. And uh, Howard Stern asked her about that, and she said that she was aware of his presence, but uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that she couldn't respond because they would hold it against her that she was uh, being, what, uh, assertive woman. Do we know how that works? We do, both of us, having been candidates, working in the male-dominated fields we've worked in. When I was still in corporate America, you you had to, you're you're held to a different standard. There is a double standard. May talked about that, you know, just a little bit ago. It is a different standard for women out there, uh, you know, me, I would have wanted to see her turn around and deck him, you know, <laughs> but we also know that that's not really, but, but then but again, she lost the election anyway. Right. She lost the electoral college, which if the Democrats are smart, we're going to take this damn bull by the horns and get rid of it once and for all. Uh, it's okay. outlived its usefulness. It was never really that useful it's, in the first it's place. It's interesting. The, the American foreign wars, American veterans of foreign wars, uh, send out competitions for juniors and seniors in high school, speech competitions. Mm -hmm. And so they write a speech on one of several topics, and then they they give the speech, and the local uh, organization votes you through, and you can win scholarship money. So my boys, you know, my oldest is getting those requests, and one of them was one question that every applicant has to address is, how do you feel about the electoral college and should we change it? This is from, you know, a, a, a militarily based mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. And I thought that was just such an interesting question to be asking 16, 17, no, 18 I think year that's old a perfect oh, question to ask that this is, I'm heading in another guess at David Ferris country, but he's absolutely correct. The Democratic Party is filled, run by wimps. They're always yes. conceding. Yes. And uh, the Republicans, after two, two, two times in this century, the, the loser Three. has... Two times. Is it two? In 2000 and Bush and uh, 2016 with Donnie Trump. Two, thousand, uh, two times in this century, the loser has won because of the Electoral College. And in each case, it was a Republican who got to be all the marbles. And the Democrats have not moved at all to abolish it. And I if agree. the shoe was on the other foot, we'd be year, in tw- year 20 of the effort to undo the Electoral College. And I would go so far as to say that if 2000 had gone another way, we would not have climate change issues. Change issues, and well, we would we still would, but we'd be working. Well, not on them. no, because we would have had Al Gore, so we would not have done that, and we certainly would not have been at war in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and thinking about killing everybody in Iran right now. We, that wouldn't have happened. That change, that that stupid hanging Chad thing mm-hmm. in Florida, I think has brought us to this point. All right, now so. uh, let's close down the show by asking you. You don't have to name your top five, but uh, 
rank them right now. We'll start with you, Murray. I did mine already. I've already said Bernie's number one. Don't hold that against me. No, no, uh, not Elizabeth Warren is hey, number two. I have nothing uh, against Bernie. Okay. Well, well, wait a minute. Can I tell you the difference between a bro and a guy? guy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because that's really important. A bro is going to pick up their toys and go home. They're they're not gonna. They are not Democrats, and they're not gonna stick with trying to. Move they're the not gonna come forward. out and vote for whoever the Democratic primary candidate is. Yeah. They're gonna pull their support, and especially and that's not the if problem it's a woman. As we go in, and the other thing that uh, with a with a guy, he's more interested in making sure that our democracy survives. And every time I hear the bros, and I have to deal with them every day. And of course, Fred Gutenberg today had to beat him off with a stick, and his daughter was shot to death in the school. So how can we? And, and here's the thing with Bernie. Bernie needs to he needs to talk to his bros. This was the problem at, at the 2016 is that we didn't have. I'm sorry, I'm probably ticking Dennis off, <laughs> but Bernie didn't have. Um, he did not ever quell his hey, he base can cut us off. and yeah. get a, get his or his base under control. And I think that's what he needs to do now. He needs to st- tell him to stop being so mean to people. He did come out very late in the game and say, "Oh, go support Hillary." No, I actually, very is, I'm, I'm going to defend Bernie Sanders he on did this it. front. He was out he, there. He was out there giving speeches for Hillary Clinton. I'm defending Bernie Sanders because he, he was, but it was late in the game. Not it that late. Listen, really? he was no later. I just he was no later in. Hillary was in 2008. And we had All to right. wait for Good that point. one. For I was Hillary. a Obama supporter. I had to wait for Hillary. Yeah. So, come on. You it's, know. it's not that. It's not the problem I have with them. It was, it's his his followers, their ideology is so absolute that there's no room for anything else except for that burning absoluteness. And I just think that he needs to do a better job making his followers a little more cohesive and a little more malleable because we're at a time when we need that. But All that's right. a part of what detracted them. He's an independent, so they don't feel the alliance. That's why they he's like not a Democrat. Not alliance, you know. All right, so I'm going to give you my top five. Okay. Okay, my number one, Bernie. Number two, Elizabeth Warren. Number three, Andrew Yang. Number four, Amy Klobuchar. Number five, Joe Biden. That's where I break it down now with taking into account everybody who's dropped out of the race. Yeah. I'm not taking Bloomberg serious. I'm not taking Steyer serious. Maybe I should, but I'm not. Uh, and and uh, so that's my five. Uh, Murray, where, who are yours? I don't really have them in ranked order. Uh, <laughs> I can, I, for different reasons, different ones, clearly. But uh, my tops are uh, Warren, Yang, uh, Klobuchar, and I'm sorry if you're uh, Bernie. All right, I know. Uh, but if you're going to pick an old white guy, go with Tom Steyer. Yeah. I'm extremely impressed with Tom Steyer. He reminds me a lot of J.B. Pritzker. Just because you're a billionaire doesn't mean you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. It means you can be based with a philanthropic men- mentality. That's how we got Roosevelt. That's how, you know, the FDR Democrats are there because of that. So how can we not get if you want an old white guy? Go Tom Steyer. Come on, guys. By the way, that's a great uh, slogan for the Steyer campaign. <laughs> Just because I'm a billionaire doesn't mean I'm an asshole. Right. Okay, I'll take credit uh, for that. All right, Heidi, what's your top five? I'm, I'm pretty close uh, pretty close to, to Murray with uh, Yang and Steyer and Warren and Bernie. And uh, I think the, the next one down, though, I'm not a big Klobuchar fan. Um, Neither but, am I, but yeah. she's a woman. Yeah, so that, that's about where I would fall. So who's your fifth, Klobuchar? Uh, you know, almost Cory Booker, and that's a really weird choice for me. But I got to meet him. She has a crush on his eyes. Right. It's okay. his okay. eyes. He is gorgeous. <laughs> the eyes have it. Um, <laughs> all right, they are the Heartland Mamas, and tell folks how they can follow your show. Heartland Mamas, 
M-A-M-A-S.com. You can find us on all of the social media, except Instagram. We're learning that. Uh, You can get us on any place you get your podcast. Tune in Monday at 10 for our weed show, so you know how to use it. So you guys live stream as well? Yeah. Well, no, no we, we're working on okay. it. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so we we don't know how. Oh, well, yeah, it's there's. We'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about off show. This is the guy to talk to. That young man right there. Okay. Uh, so I want to thank the Heartland Mamas for thank uh, you for having us yeah, so much. Us. We love coming in and talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. we love really do, guys. and we love coming down here. You know, you've got to the big city. We love coming to the city. Yeah, I love. If I could, I. She I'd, likes the dogs and coats that go with her purse chicken. So. Oh, okay. I, uh, I do like. Like all the dogs and there the are plenty of dogs in this neighborhood and they have their little padding on their sh- yes. uh, feet and everything yeah. uh heidi henry murray brio also want to thank uh may whiteside and ramana hussein earlier in the show and of course the man the myth the legend and as heidi henry can tell you back home in alton they call him white lightning <laughs> give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you on tuesday everybody He's still doing that in 2020. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and get uh, Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, you know, we live stream this show, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Follow us on social media, at Benny J. Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show on Facebook and Twitter, the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, Ben Handles that account. And uh, check out the Benny J. Bonus interviews, guys. Jim Coogan and more. See you Tuesday.